Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week I'm joined by Sarah and Kaz for the news, but if you want to skip that and go straight to the Valley Hole Podcast, go to around the 10 minute mark. Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name is Henry and this week I'm joined by Kaz and Sarah for the news before we go in to an interview conducted by Sarah with the one and only Valley Hall, which is very, very exciting. Um, Kaz, you're down across the border in America, which is a different c- country to Canada. I'm, Whoa. I'm clearing up on my local knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a piece recently on Outside Online, which came up on the Pink Bike homepage. Some of you might have read it, some of you might have not, but a lot of you would have seen it. And it's one man's quest to ride 10,000 days in a row. A 48, 48-year-old father of two from Virginia is well on his way to over nine years of riding 30 miles every single day. Is that not absolutely nuts? It's a lot. Yeah. Like that, especially because his idea of a ride, it has to be at least 30 miles. It's not just like hopping on your bike and going around the block. Like he has to ride 30 miles for him to count that as a ride, which is a lot of riding. And that's a lot of, like a if lot you did of that, riding. Yeah. If you did that just for one year, that'd be impressive. Like if you rode every day of the year or every day for two years, that's cool. But he's up to yeah eight or nine years. And now he wants to do it for 27 years total, which so like we were talking before this, the headline's a little optimistic because if you'd done 10,000, that's going to be really impressive. But already, whatever he's at, eight years of not missing a ride is, it's pretty wild. But when an idea hold gets gets hold of you, it can really, or in this instance, absolutely has. It's funny if you ever see um, you'll sometimes see end of year roundups of the most edited Wikipedia pages, and one year this guy edited this page about like this particular type of soil worm like thirty five thousand times, and he was clearly just obsessed with making this article as good as it can be. Um, Sarah, we all like riding bikes. Is 30 miles the threshold of a proper bike ride, on a road bike at least, do you think? Or do you think, you know, that's quite a long way. That's two hours riding, realistically. That's quite a lot of riding. I mean, I was impressed when Dario in another podcast said that he went out almost... Almost every day. Almost every day. And he was like, you know, sometimes it's just like went to the grocery store on a bike. And I thought that counted. I didn't realize you needed to do a (laughs) 30-mile ride for it to, to count. And yeah, go out for at least two hours a day and I mean I guess Virginia they probably have a bit better consistent weather year-round so that might make it a little bit easier than other places but yeah that's still a long ride to do 10,000 days in a row which is 27 years 27 years (laughs) you'll have to check back in and you know was it 15 years or no how many I don't even know I'm bad at math but we'll check back in in like a decade from now and see see where he's at (laughs) I'm 31 years old so I mean, I'm sure you can work it out, but that's almost my life. That's quite impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, how old are his kids? Yeah, it said he had... How old are his kids? I mean, he's got time to have kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. Father, Jesus. I know he goes to he travels <laughs> oh, for work I, and stuff. It said he got a new job in part because of his accomplishment, because somehow in the interview process, it kind of came up and they realized how like very uh, dedicated he is. And like, oh, this guy's probably a hard worker. If you can do that, if you can ride your bike every day for nine years, you can probably like <laughs> deal with some stuff. That's funny, because when I was at Specialized, there was a guy who he went for the Strava record for the most kilometers in a month, and our joke was that he just attended work for that month because he was so beat. He did like, it was between 6,000 and 8,000 kilometers in in a month of like August or something, and he was like going against this other guy. They were going back and forth, back and forth, and he finally won, but he was definitely ruined by the end of the month. So it's better he's only doing 30 miles. I used to have a similar policy to that, but with... Going out, I would, I'd never want to be hungover on my days off. So I'd only drink on a school night and then just be hungover <laughs> at work. And it was, honestly, it served me very well. I was like, if I'm feeling like shit, I'm going to be getting paid for it. <laughs> Love it. Um, another thing we saw, and there are some big, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> there are lots of reasons why Enduro is having a hard time at the moment. And some of them are within um, the organization's control. Some of them very much aren't. One of the things that makes it feel like it's having a starker time by comparison is all these brands throwing stuff at downhill, seemingly. Um, not least, Norco have filed a patent for a bike that they said they weren't going to manufacture at all. Sarah, you interviewed Greg. Do you think he kind of, you know, did some smooth talking to talk around to making a production bike? Is there any benefit of it being a production bike from a racer's point of view, I wonder? I mean, he only signed with them 
after mid-October. So this must have been in the works before oh, his yeah, sure. signing. Yeah, it's it's definitely a couple years in the making. Um, so, yeah, I would say. But there's a difference between designing the bike and filing the patent for the bike. But the bike he looks to be on, I mean, to be fair, does look like it's a very different version from the one raced under, you know, Mark Wallace and Gracie Hemstreet et al. Um, this looks maybe even carbon fiber in places. I don't know. Um, but it looks like a much more production ready bike. Um, Kaz, we talk about it all the time and I'm sure the listeners are going to be fed up of hearing about it. Do, does anyone actually buy downhill bikes? Because in Whistler, I'm like, oh my God, you know, we see them all the time. But I remember back in the shop back home, if a downhill bike came in the shop, it was like a fanfare, like a real downhill bike in a shop in the middle of England. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of that. I think we've, Levy always used to call it the pig in the window effect. You know, it's like you're, it's your, your showpiece, the thing to kind of get people's attention. And then they wander into the bike shop and then they end up buying a trail bike or an enduro bike. So I think there's, it's, it is kind of just your, you know, I hate using the, the formula one comparison because they're not, but they kind of are. It's the thing to get people to recognize a brand, to get the attention and then to buy a different product. Most, most times, you know, cause we've said it before, most most people aren't lucky enough to live somewhere where they even need a downhill bike. Do you think there's sense in then downhill bikes looking like they've got the same layout, the same, you know, ideals and design as the trail bike instead of having a massive departure? And because uh, if they're going to see people win, like, yeah. I, w- I wondered if with the V10, et cetera, the bringing the trail bikes more in line with that was a way to sort of firm up a lot of the marketing that the Santa Cruz Syndicate does on behalf of Santa Cruz. Yeah, there's probably almost two ways you can go about it is kind of make your your all your bikes have that same design language. But I kind of like when companies just go wild with their downhill bikes and just make it look crazy, kind of a just optimize just for going downhill. Who cares if it looks like a trail bike or anything else? I like that tactic. But but yeah, I'm sure in some cases they kind of say, hey, let's make this look a little bit like our other bikes to make it just seem similar. So you can recognize one, you recognize another. And you're like, oh, I saw that racing. That's the trail bike version of it. Uh, and Sarah, when was the last time you got to swing a leg over a downhill bike? Uh, do, you, do you get a bike park pass or anything? Question. I got a bike park pass a couple years ago, um, but I was just riding an enduro bike whenever mm-hmm. I went up. So I want to say the last time I rode a downhill bike might have been when I was working at Norco, which was now like six years ago. <laughs> Man, we should. I, <laughs> so I, yeah, maybe I should borrow mats or something. We could probably ride something. Yeah, we, could, <laughs> yeah, we should get some. Yeah, we'll do a little company downhill day. day. Yeah, yeah, it'd be so good. They're so we, fun. Um, Last month, we, like, Matt, myself, um, a local guy who's a real nice guy called Tobias, and Tom, the videographer, went down for just, like, a no no faff shuttle date, and it was sick, just on Cyprus, like, straight on every time, like, no messing about, just pumping out laps. Honestly, downhill bikes, we were all just there, like, <laughs> just just so good. And what how lucky we are to live in a place where we're able to ride them. Um, so, speaking of downhill bikes, we've got Valley Hole's interview coming up. We sure do. How... How was it? What, what was she, did you, have you met her before? Was she reasonably open? It's, what was the interview like? Yeah, so I talked with her three years ago, I think, when she just signed with the RockShocks Trek race team. And so she, I remember at that time she was kind of like, I can't believe I had so many offers. I'm only the junior world champion. <laughs> and I was like, I think people know more than she knew at that time that she was going to be able to win a lot yes. coming into the elite category. I don't think... Maybe everybody knew how fast and how high, you know, she, yes. she's won the overall twice now already. So um, she's definitely raised her level a lot to joining the elite category. Um, but I think she has that confidence now that like, yes, I, I am worth it because I have won four titles, I think already in the three years that she's done full seasons of elite racing. So um it's yeah, quite it was remarkable. just a different, a different interview than I did three years ago. So it was, it was cool. And it's something of a homecoming to YT for her, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. She's, we'll talk about it in the interview, obviously, but she was with YT for six years. And when she was on the SRAM TLD team, she was on a YT for the first bit. And then she was only on track for three years, basically, of her entire yes. career. So she's been sponsored by YT for her entire career, except for those three years. So she said, we've stayed in touch. We're on good terms. It's like coming home, and I think kind of the language part of it as well, that they can speak German in the pits, is also really helpful for her. And she's, well, I'm going to give away my yeah, interview. Well, no, we're, but... we're, we're gonna, we can reflect <laughs> later. And without further ado, let's go into it. Sarah, thank you for putting this together, and we hope you enjoy it.
Bally, thank you so much for coming on to the Pink Bike Podcast today. I know you've got some big changes coming your way for 2024, so I'm excited to get right into that exciting news. Please tell us, what team are you going to be riding on this coming year? <laughs> well, first, thanks for the invite, and uh, yeah, I'm going to be on the YT Mob. Awesome. So the rumors were true. <laughs> well, I think it wasn't that hard. Like, I don't know. Like, I think everybody knows immediately after you sign already. So <laughs> easy. Yeah, it's it's a small, small Whole industry. <laughs> yeah. um, so how did that come about? You were with YT, then you were riding a, uh, on the SRAM TLD team with a YT bike. You were on the Trek for the past three years. So at what point during the season did... YT approached you or did you approach YT? Like, what did that look like? I mean, when I separated with YT, it was all like, you know, in good terms. And I was just ready to start something new with track. I mean, there were a lot of possibilities with track to turn it a bit more in a more professional approach. Like the team is going to get a bigger support. All my team members are going to be in the same bike. So the RockShox track team was, was the perfect way to start my elite career, I would say. And uh, I was always in touch with YT because we were really good friends anyway. So, um, yeah, they were always super close to my heart because they were my first sponsor and uh, we just kept in touch. And then the last three years have been pretty amazing on my side, but I just knew, okay, I might need to change something because the setup I'm in now is like perfect to, to start a World Cup career, but maybe not to, to turn it in something more professional. And uh, yeah, I just like saw how much YT was investing into the into the mob team, how well the Enduro team is going, and the way they're thinking is pretty amazing. With you can choose the parts you prefer, and you don't have to write what the team gets sponsored, and the money doesn't really matter for the riders. Like they can choose wherever they feel the comfiest and the fastest on, and uh, I like that approach a lot. Interesting. Um, so you have always been on RockShocks components, I think. Are you continuing with RockShocks and SRAM this year or are you, are you changing to different components there? No, I've spent so much time helping to develop that new fork that I don't want to throw that work away, to be honest. <laughs> um, I did write some other stuff for testing, obviously, but um, I feel quite confident on, on the SRAM RockShocks stuff and I've started with it and uh, yeah, same with YT. It's the bike I learned riding on, and the first day I was back on the bike, it felt like home, so I'm pretty pretty happy. So is it hard for you when you went from that YT to the Trek bike? Like, Did it take a while to get used to the new setup? Um, it was for sure a totally different situation because it was after my crash in uh, Liogang where I broke my ankle, and mm -hmm. uh, it was my first big injury, and I just, you know, I couldn't walk for like four months, and I had a second surgery on it, and... um. Just the whole injury side was super new to me. So I've never had to rehab and learn how to ride again. And then I learned to ride a new bike as well. And obviously the geometry on the track is way different to what I have ridden in the past. With the high pivot, it was so planted, which is amazing for downhill, but not when you come back from, from an injury because you just feel like you can't move the bike. Luckily, mm -hmm. I... It you know after two three months I was I was able to to be second in Liogang with a crash so I don't think uh, it was an issue but uh, yeah. <laughs> and how's your ankle these days? Do you have like a little bit of stiffness still, or is it totally fine? Uh, I think it's with every injury. Like every now and then you you feel it, but uh, it's been three years now, so I'm all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been three years since I last did an interview with with you. Um, at that time, you were kind of just moving up to the elite category you're signing with the new rock shocks team you seem surprised at that point that so many brands were interested in signing you because you kind of only had success as a junior um how was the process different for you this time around were you kind of expecting uh more brands to come to you did you feel kind of that confidence differently this time around well for sure like i mean in three years i managed to grab uh yeah, four titles, which is pretty sick, to be honest. And uh, obviously, that changes a lot in the rider's value that you have. Um, I'm still super young, so it was a bit tough for me to kind of know what I'm worth because mm -hmm. 
I feel like in the scene, nobody really talks about it. Obviously, the men, they get a lot more money. And okay, even if you have two World Cup World Champ wins as a woman, it doesn't equal you to a man who has two World Cup wins, you know? So um, it was kind of tough to... You know, I was like listening to some proposals. It's like, oh, like that's so much money. And then you get the next one. It's like double the money and like, oh, okay. So that's actually possible. And then, uh, yeah, I just waited a bit. But um, for me, it was more about like the people because I got some offers which were for the same amount of money, but I just knew that the people I'm going to be with, those are the ones I want to be with. And it's more important for me to feel comfortable in the team environment than maybe get a bit more bonus there. But um, yeah, I mean, I signed really early in the season last year already. So I was able to focus on this season. And I mean, this season or 2023 was the best season I've ever had. So it was cool to ride with a super clear mind and be safe for the next season, especially with the situation we're within now that I feel like a lot of riders are struggling to even get a spot on the team or, or get more money than they had the season before. And I feel like I had the perfect timing to sign really early in the season. So I was safe and it wasn't an issue yet for the, for the industry. So at what point during the year did you kind of have that contract signed? Um, I already signed in March. Of, of 2023? Yeah. For the following year. Wow. Because yeah. was it a three-year contract that you had with the RockShox check? race team yeah okay so you were kind of like i gotta make my plans for next year and just to have kind of that off of your back for yeah for 2024 just, you know as a rider you're always like there's like two sides either you wait and you wait until you get really good results or you're like okay it's quite okay what i'm doing now i'm gonna sign with that kind of money but uh yeah for me it was just like get it done because i don't want to think about it when i'm in the middle of my world cup season and then maybe it stresses you too much and then you have crashes and then you doubt yourself and then people are like oh maybe that's not a good option and blah 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 but, <laughs> no, all good. Like, it was amazing how i did it and i'm super stoked how it turned out yeah so do you think you almost if you had waited with the amazing season that you had you could have had more offers or more money on the table if you'd waited or are you happy kind of mm, I, I don't think so like the offer okay. I got was was pretty sick for elite woman like I'm really stoked how how YT approached me the same way as if I would be elite men rider so I think it's a really good direction for women's sport to to have those kind of brands in the industry and it will I would be stoked if more girls get the same chance as me because yeah, we deserve it. Yeah. And why do you think like historically women just haven't had like there I think there's probably some women who make good salaries. Like I can't imagine Rachel or Pompon is not making or Tani or making good good money, I'm hoping. Um, like what do you think needs to change so that more of you are making good salaries as as downhill riders? Well, I mean, obviously we get really good money already. Even, you know, in the top top three for sure, everybody makes I would say 100k but compared to a man in the top three that's that's nothing you know and uh, mm -hmm. that's something that needs to change obviously it's a lot of money and you can live a pretty sick life with that amount of money and you can do whatever you want but compared to the man it's it's just you know a third mm -hmm. well so, and it's also it's a relatively short um timeline that you can be at the the top of your game potentially I mean oh, definitely right? but it's also interesting, like now my biggest competitors, they're 12 years older than me with Cambalange and uh, Miriam, you know, they're all like 33, 34. I'm 22. So, um, yeah. You've, you've got a long. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully when you retire, you won't have to work at all anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just need to be smart with investments. So uh, thanks to my yeah. mom, she's on it. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and you recently just moved out from your parents' house as well, right? So you're in Innsbruck now? Exactly. Yeah. I moved out a year ago already, but um, yeah, it's not really worth it because I'm never home. So it's more right. like <laughs> a big garage to dump my stuff and then sleep there overnight, wash my stuff and then go again. Um, but yeah, it was for me, it was really important to to do that step and have my own space and be far away from my parents but not too far so they can still come by sometimes but um mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's just when you live that crazy pro life on the road during the summer, you, you do whatever you want and then you come back home and then every time you leave or someone is coming with you, they're asking what you're doing. And I was just not used to it anymore because I felt so settled in my biking life. And then every time I came home, I was I was the daughter and I had to tell them whatever I want to do. So I was mm-hmm. sometimes a bit annoyed and I just couldn't couldn't handle it anymore. So I was like, okay. I love you guys, but I need to move out and uh, start my own life. And uh, I feel like everything I did last year helped me to to be a super happy rider during the 2023 season. It, it was the first time I felt like free and I was not disappointed if I crashed because I knew everything I'm doing. Like I was so well prepared for everything and I was in such a good headspace the whole year that nothing could really throw me off track. That's great because I feel like the the first two years of racing elite, you kind of struggled with just being so upset at yourself when things didn't go your way. So how did you kind of get past that just like frustration and kind of channel it into something healthy and make yourself happy? It was just, I guess, the wrong kind of expectations on myself. I cared way too much what, what other people could think, even though I didn't know if they think the way. Um... It was, I guess it's part of growing up. Like you start learning that it doesn't really care what people on the internet think, even if there are a lot of people who give comments, but at the end of mm-hmm. the day, the only people that matter are the ones in your family and, and in your team. And you set your goals with them and they exactly know how much effort you put in. And uh, just learning that way was hard two years, but... I had to, and luckily I have really good friends around me that helped me. Yeah, because you kind of grew up really in front of the camera for your entire summer for like the past five, six years. Um, Do you kind of look back to some of the interviews you've done, you know, five years ago as a junior world champion and and realize how much you've changed in in that time? Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) still even though I had two rough seasons they were not bad you know I I didn't Mm -hmm. get injured I still got every season a title so of course I crashed but I don't know like I still believe that my career is pretty smooth and well I think your your results are super impressive I was looking at them like 21 22 23 you only finished out of the top five once in that time is that right you finished sixth in like your second race of, of 2021 on the new bike, new team. So, I mean, your results definitely speak for themselves. I think it's more, it, it seems like you're, like you were saying, you're, you're happier more when you don't maybe finish on, on the top spot of the podium. Is that accurate? Well, I think I just had realized that I'm racing against the best people in the world. And it's not just a given thing that you show up at the World Cups as a first year elite rider and just smoke them. Except you have Jackson Goldstone, then you can do it. But <laughs> normally you have to take your time and, and, and just learn. And especially as a junior, if, if you never fail, you just don't know how to process your feelings. And I just had to learn to deal with my disappointment and not to bother anyone else if, if I'm in a bad mood. And uh, yeah, that's what I did the last two seasons. And now I feel like I, I know how to handle it. And even if I crash, it's not the end of the world because okay, you race for the overall or you race for four points and for sick photos and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just riding bikes and you always have, a, next weekend, you have a new chance. And yeah, just see it like that. Yeah. And you've also won, in your first full season of Elite, you won won the overall and you had two podiums. So I think you say Jackson Goldstone, but there's also Valley Hole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the overall was, was, there was a bit of luck involved. So I'm pretty happy to to have backed it up in 2023 because how 2021 turned out was just, you know, it was really bad for Miriam who crashed two times and I just managed to to snag my two World Cup wins. But, you know, it was not really, of course, like I prefer to win if I do good and not because someone, you know, has really bad luck. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, although it's, it's, Part of the sport crashing wow, is just, course, it's going, yeah. going to happen. But for sure, 2023 just tasted way better because I knew my performance was, was good. 
Mm-hmm. And you were really consistent throughout the whole season. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, like, you talked about the support for the YT mob that you're going to have. Like, what was it that really appealed to you the most about that support team? Well, just to have a team also in the off season because um, I was quite free with the Rock Truck Strike race team, uh, but there was no team training camps during the season. Like, I was lucky enough to have Cecile Ravenel and their team who allowed me to join their team camps and their off-season training camps. So that was really good for me, but uh, there was nothing really planned from the team. And then we met for the World Cups, and that's when I saw, for example, Tegan always for the first time, more or less. We did one one training camp during the winter every year to get photos and stuff, but it's just not enough if you want to be at the top in the elite World Cup. Like, you need to spend a lot of time on the bike, and, you know, if it, there's snow in Austria, so I can't ride the whole winter, so I need someone who organizes something to to drive me out and, and ride in, in warmer conditions. And just to have that environment helps me to be more professional. And, you know, you have your, your month where you train in the gym, but then you're looking forward to the two weeks out in, in, in the sun and you do some productive stuff. And the people on the team, like Sean and Ocean, like they all want to be the best version of themselves. And it's just amazing to to have those people. But then you also have the people who just work for the team. And, you know, it's the first time I have a team manager because before it was managed by by John Dawson, but, you know, he has to handle the whole SRAM marketing and uh, it's just too much work to to have a team. So it's cool to have people just dedicated for racing because that's what they live for, that's what they strive for. And they want, you know, everyone wants to make us do well in the World Cups and just to have those people around me, I think is is, is a good way. So you're in California right now. Are you at a training camp with the entire team or who are you there with? Exactly. Yeah. Everyone is here. Um, I have a new mechanic this season as well. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. We collect some media and uh, we just get to get to know each other because, I mean, Sean is from Australia, Ocean is from Ireland. So it's the first time we actually see each other. And uh, yeah, all the people from from the company and from the team, team manager, Greg Matthews, you joined me from from my last team. So, um, yeah, it's just good to have a really good time in California. It's my first time here, so I'm pretty stoked. Like, I hope we get to surf one day at least. And uh, yeah. yeah, the birth birthplace of mountain biking. It feels appropriate that you should that you should be there. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Loving it. Uh, so your teammates are uh, Shauna Heron, um, who's going to be racing against you, and then um, Ocean Callahan, who finished off the season last year with a win and oh, yeah. snowshoe. So like, what's the dynamic like so far? Like, how do you, how do you work together? Like, how, how's it been? Oh, I mean, we're just like shooting. So we're just pushing up the bikes and, <laughs> and right down. So, um, no, but it's amazing. Like everyone is so unique and you can feel it, how Ocean strives from the World Cup win. And it's amazing that, you know, it can happen if you, if you believe in it and, and work for it. And same for Sean, like, she had a really rough past with a big crash and then uh, coming back into the World Cup and, and making her way back up. It's also the first time for me to have a girl in the team and I'm pretty stoked that more teams start to have more women in the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we can work really well together, especially like during training camps or like, you know, at the World Cups to have someone to to take a spin with, to go to the gym with, um, just to have people to hang out with who chase the same goal it already starts like making breakfast or going out or do your lunch you know it's not like with the boys they easy with burgers but yeah maybe we girls we want to have something more healthy and then we feel <laughs> better and it's better to have more people who think the same way so it, yeah. it makes life a bit more easier definitely and also your your timelines are pretty different often from if you're racing I mean Tegan was in was he still a junior yeah. last year when you were racing elite. So you haven't really had the person that you're like, okay, we're waking up, we're having breakfast together. We're going to go for a spin. We're going to go and ride the course. Like that should be pretty exciting for you to have somebody to kind of do all oh, those things definitely. with. Yeah. I hope I can help her a bit. I mean, normally at the World Cups, I do my own thing. Like I don't really follow someone. 
but uh, I'm happy if someone wants to follow me. Like I wrote a lot with Cecile's uh, kids on the team, like Lisa. And I remember with Lisa, I followed her in Ludenwell one time. And I told her after the first practice lap, you're going to be on the podium. And then Ludenwell was her first podium. And I was, you know, I won and she got fifth and it was so sick. And I was like more stoked for her to make her first podium. And I love to share those feelings because I know how, how good it feels to achieve your your goals and you just strive for it because you want to achieve it another time and feel the same way. So yeah, I feel like a good dynamic is helping everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, what's your relationship with Cecile Ravenel? Has she been at all of the world cups? Do you see her in the off season? Like how, how does she like work with you throughout the year, I guess? Yeah. So she's doing all my training um, on the bike and all the endurance stuff and my week plan. I do have my own gym training uh crew in innsbruck at the base five it's pretty sick you should if you <laughs> ever make it to crankworks innsbruck you should definitely come by and go to the gym it's it's pretty sick and then uh yeah cecilia's planning all my endurance and interval stuff and uh at the world cups um she and her husband they do my lines and we do track walk and uh yeah we just uh try to find the fastest way down for me and uh works <laughs> so pretty is- well was the base five was that kind of one of the main reasons that you wanted to move to Innsbruck actually it was the first uh, day I moved to Innsbruck I went to the gym first before I even saw my apartment so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty excited <laughs> cool gym fuck and it's also the best coffee in in Innsbruck and uh, yeah the crew is amazing like yeah you're like why would I need to set up my apartment when I can <laughs> just go to the gym and get the best coffee you know yeah it's actually every time I go to the gym I think I spent the same amount of time in the gym as I do in my apartment. So it's kind of <laughs> sad, but also pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess uh, when you were kind of just starting off, I remember you saying that your your dad traveled with you to all of the races. And now you, you were kind of just going back to that, getting your own apartment and having kind of a, more of a, a separation. But they still go to a lot of your races, right? Uh, not really. I mean, I kicked my dad out the first year <laughs> of... Uh, juniors when I got my first mechanic from from Sam with uh, Matt so um I think it was a bit tough for him because we always did all the kids races together and Mm -hmm. and then suddenly once you know the cool part started he was not allowed to join me (laughs) right (laughs) he's like but I've been I've been driving you all around the world the country for for so long so that I would (laughs) now we do the cool stuff and he's not allowed to to be there but um no do you think Sorry? Or it's it's just because of kind of I'm, I'm sure your parents if it was anything like my parents when I was racing is they they want you to do so well and to be happy and do you find it's just like an extra level of stress when your parents are are there? Uh, I feel like I figured it out pretty well um, to tell them what they are allowed to do at the World Cups if they show up. I mean they've only been to two World Cups last in the last two seasons because they're pretty busy with with this Charlie. Mm-hmm. um but uh yeah I mean I always tell them they're not allowed to come to the pit only after the race like I don't want to see them before the race they can come after quality if they're already there but they're not allowed to speak to me <laughs> and then <laughs> when I told them the first time my dad was really pissed he was like well I can stay at home I don't even need to come it's like that's not what I want like you can come just don't go to the pit and sit around and and, and look at us <laughs> just mm-hmm. do your thing, take, you know yeah, some time off, enjoyed, and then we see each other after the race. But uh, I think he learned how how I want it now. <laughs> Even if it took you, <laughs> it's a learning process arguments. for yeah. for everybody. Um, and so changing mechanics—that's a pretty big change in a downhill athlete's career life. Um, what was it that you liked about your previous mechanic, um, Matt Gallen, that you're hoping to? bring over to this new new mechanic and I assume you have one mechanic for just for yourself right exactly yeah so uh, I mean Matt was my very first mechanic I ever had and I mean it was the perfect dynamic he exactly knows how I ride I mean you've seen my development through for the junior ranks to to where I am now and uh, obviously working super close with SRAM and he will stay with SRAM and he's going to be my dedicated suspension technician from RockShox as I'm staying with SRAM so it's pretty cool to have him still there at the World Cups and he's also going to do track work with me because he just knows how I ride and he really helped me 
doing track walk because uh yeah he just knows what i'm able to do and gives me confidence if if i want to try something and yeah my new mechanic is actually from my hometown salbar so uh yeah. it's the first time i have like someone german speaking actually in the team so i'm wow. keen for that because it just makes communication a bit more easier and uh yeah he's super keen i mean he's super super smart so um i will find a really good balance between met me and him and then uh yeah i mean he just needs i mean he's kind of similar to me like he's super quiet and you know gives some shit if if needed but uh he's super mellow so i think it's the perfect match for me and he knows how what to do and what not to do and i mean obviously the first race is always interesting but uh he will learn really quick and you know i'm anyway not talking during the whole race weekend so there's nothing to do at all <laughs> Good thing we're getting you in January. Yes. <laughs> um, so usually the kind of your team mechanic is the one that goes to the start gate with you. So it's kind of the person who needs to know that no Valley does not want to speak before yeah. her race. <laughs> well, that's the first thing I told him. So he knows. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. <laughs> Although I heard you, you did an interview with, with SRAM and you said that before world championships in, in Leger, when you ended up winning, Matt said, let's go. And for whatever reason, that ended up working out that day. So maybe yeah. there's some days where deep within, they can they can bring their own <laughs> words to the table. And uh, I, not... think, I think they know when to say something and when not to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's actually pretty, obviously, the mechanic or the people you have to start with. It's quite interesting that some athletes tend to have more people now at the start or like their coaches and their mechanic or... Some people that try to be like super alone and uh yeah i also feel like having less people at the start calms me more down and then yeah they're kind of your your mental coach and you know the last few minutes before you drop in are quite crucial and if you have people around you that comfort you and give you strength and best thing that can happen so what does that like last half hour usually look like for you before you drop into to your race run well, I'm a person who loves routines. Like, I think that's my German <laughs> German side. Like, everything needs to be on time. And I start my warm-up at exactly that time before I drop in. And then I sip on my Red Bull exactly after I finish my intervals. And uh, I go to the toilet exactly three times and <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, if there is some, you know, delay and stuff, you, you have to handle it. And luckily, it doesn't doesn't really bothers me but um yeah I have my routine and that's kind of my my way to feel less nervous maybe because I exactly know what to do if I have more free time you start thinking uh, I have my my race playlist and uh yeah everything is pretty dialed and I hope I can keep that routine for a bit longer because I used to have my special handshake with my mechanic <laughs> but then uh, my results didn't work out that well. So I was like, dude, we need to stop. This is not this is not working anymore. So now we're doing it every time we do something else. So um yeah, with with my new mechanic MJ, for sure we will find something funny. <laughs> um and is the team manager that you have now for the YT Mom, is that the same person who's been managing the team previously? Um well it's uh the white team mob like indoor team yes okay he's a german guy but he's super quiet like people don't really recognize him that he's the white team mob manager which okay. i find really cool that you know most of the time the important people they try not to be in public that often so i like that approach and i feel like it also suits me like rather be in the background and be quiet and when it comes then then you shine and then you know but um yeah he's also really cool i mean i've never been in a team with that many German people and uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be good, like maybe a bit bad for, for my teammates because now I know <laughs> how, how, now I know at least how, you know, the Frenchies feel like when they start French, start talking French the whole time and I don't get anything. And now I do the same and I feel a bit sorry, but it's so much easier <laughs> just to talk in your mother language. But yeah. Sure and do you I think that's it. part of the reason why YT feels like such a natural fit to you? Oh, probably for sure. I mean, as I said, I started riding bikes on and learned everything I know with, with their bikes. So coming back home is pretty special. Yeah. Um, 
I know you've talked in the past about how it's been hard to balance being a high performance athlete and being a normal 20 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you at with that these days? Have you kind of been able to find that balance a little bit more? Well, I feel like it got quite boring. Like I'm not really that crazy. Like I'm not going out partying and uh, I'm I'm pretty mellow. Like all my friends kind of strive for the same vibe, like go to bed early and like go ski touring and just do a lot of sports, but not really spend time much at the upper ski. So I find I found my people now where I fit in, you know, it's not like mm-hmm. go to school and everyone in school like goes party the whole weekend, but you have to train at the weekend. So it doesn't really match because you can't feel sick and, and do your intervals like this is not gonna work but uh, yeah as I got older I feel like I changed a lot of people around me and I found my group of people I want to be with and it just like really benefits my athlete life um, mm-hmm. I also started studying so I have something aside and I can also feel a bit smarter than when I sit on a table with people who study chemistry and like geology and I'm like yeah I write bugs <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I I can be part of the smart people now too. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you what are you studying? Uh, I just study business administration because huh? it's the only thing you can really do and study online. All the mm-hmm. other stuff is like too advanced, and you really need to spend time at the uni and do a lot of a lot of days there. But um, no, it's cool to get your head around something else, and honestly, it benefits you as an athlete as well because at the end of the day, it's also business, and you need to sell your product and you need to do wise decisions and you also understand now the industry side like what's happening and the value you have and yeah maybe a tiny bit of advantage to know a bit more but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's probably one of the most useful subjects that you could really study as a as an athlete yeah I I guess so (laughs) yeah even though I feel like it's pretty sick if people like study geology because I'm always Keeps surprised how they, how they think about it. Oh, yeah, I want to I wanna study rocks and dirt. <laughs> <It's cool. laughs> I kind of do the same, but in a different way. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, you're going to really know the, the race course better if you know what the rocks are exactly <laughs> doing when, they, when the rain hits yeah. them or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> um, you, I know you said before that you're a pretty competitive person, some might say, you know. Um, which I think obviously is super important for, for being a downhill racer. And I, it's one of the reasons that you're, you're so successful, but, you know, talking about mentoring those up and coming riders, like what is the dynamic like when you're, you're really competitive, it's a small women's field. You want to uplift all the women in the sport, it sounds like, but you also want to win. So how, how, how does that dynamic play out every weekend, I guess? Well, obviously it's 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 not easy because you know there's only one winner, but at the end of the day you can't control your competitors and um uh, I feel like now like I'm really good friends with Nina and obviously Nina and me we race for the same thing, you know, she got second in Euro, I'm I'm first and uh, we go together on training camps and obviously there is always a bit of like who is gonna sprint, oh how many watts did you do today and stuff, but at the end of the day it's just funny and we push each other and you know, it's super respectful. And I think that's the most important part. Like we, everyone respects the other person and their personality and the way they are. And that's pretty cool. Like I really love how, how true Nina stays to herself. And, you know, she's, she's super funny and super cool and doesn't care what other people do where I try a bit to like fit in and try to be cool. And like, I don't know, (laughs) like wanna, wanna fit in into the, into that thing I want to see myself in where I feel like Nina is just living her life and you know it works out for her fine so I feel like you can learn a lot from other people and then obviously like looking at the future the girls are ripping and there's so many girls coming and looking up to us but they also come after us so um, I don't know I feel like for example in 2023 was the first time I was on the podium with Rachel and Rachel was the person I started that's why I started racing more or less because I was so inspired and if I can be a tiny little part of someone of a girl like starting to race World Cups and then maybe even make it up on a podium and maybe even win podiums uh that would be pretty special for me like just trying to 
influence other people and show them how cool our sport is because you know i just see it in austria like our sport is so tiny even though now andy and i you know he's vice world champion and i'm world champion but we still nobody knows what we're doing and nobody knows us in austria and but there is a lot of future coming because you know we we kind of inspire them a little bit so that feels pretty special i want to talk a little bit about that race where you were racing against Rachel and she ended up winning like what was that what was that moment like for you when you you came down and you're you're on the podium with Rachel she's won she's you know made the perfect comeback was that an occasion where you were happy with your own run were you happy for her like how did it how did it feel in the moment well I mean I was actually quite concentrated on myself because I messed up semi-final really like it was the first World Cup with the new format and then I crashed again and I was like oh come on another season where I start with crashes that's cool like why and blah 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 and then, <laughs> like I got fourth but only one and a half seconds back on the win so it was like mm. super small margins and then yeah Rachel won and that was insane like nobody would have expected it and I mean obviously she is the queen like why should you not be able to ride your bike the way you did before like I mean she you know she wouldn't show up she if she didn't know she would be winning you know that's that's not her like she's only showing up if she's 100% sure that she has the speed to to win a world cup and she's super competitive so I know that she's thinking that way so it was not it was not really a surprise for me when I thought about it a bit longer because she's the most professional you know like if you win that many races you don't show up somewhere to to get 10th you know that's not how it works so uh <laughs> yeah obviously I was quite disappointed after Lenta had it just because I crashed again and I was thinking way too much about mm -hmm. that crashed and that I was only one and a half seconds behind and uh leading into Leo Gang was a bit tricky because um yeah Cecile was not there at the races and at that time nobody knew what's going up but then uh, we found out later in the season that she was pregnant and that's why she didn't come but I didn't know, and uh, I had no coach there for the first. So there's going to be a baby Ravenel. Yeah, there's. A baby I didn't know Ravenel. that. Yeah, it's already, <laughs> it's already there. Younger, so, um Yeah, it was a surprise for us, but uh, always it was quite early on, so she didn't tell us, and she didn't come, and I was like, yeah, I was like stressing out because I had no coaches at the World Cups. Oh wow! And especially Leo Gang was like. Like I was freaking out and <laughs> I might have had a little panic attack at the beginning of the week because just everything, not having a coach and home World Cup and, you know, the pass ahead in Leogang was, was terrible with all the crashes mm -hmm. and I was just like freaking out a little bit and then I had like the strongest weekend ever in my whole life there. I was just working like a, like a robot. Like I was riding practice, practice so aggressive and I was really, going so fast already from day one on and I just wanted it so badly and then I did that perfect weekend where I won quali semi and 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 final and yeah I won and then Rachel was on the podium as well and it's like yeah this is amazing <laughs> so it was it was the perfect uh comeback after after Leather Heide to have the perfect weekend even without all the the people that you would have wanted to have around you yeah, but I think it's also good to to experience that because you can't, you know, it, there will be days or years where you won't have the people around you that you need, and you just need to learn to to do it without them. And it was kind of cool for myself to realize I can actually also win if if someone doesn't tell me where I need to go. You know, I can just trust my abilities and do what I did, and it worked out. And I mean, I know what to do. You, it just feels nice to have someone to confirm it to you. But at the end of the day, you wouldn't be there if you don't know how to ride a bike. So it takes a bit of <laughs> time to realize it. Yeah, it might feel like the person who's doing the track walk with you is is telling you the lines, but it sounds like they might actually just be confirming that the line that you saw is correct, which is kind of reassuring Yeah, exactly. more, than, more than they know where you'll exactly, ride. Yeah. <laughs> you do know yourself pretty well, it turns out. <laughs> Well, it took some time, but I feel like, yeah, just growing up and getting older helps a lot. So just 
if anyone is struggling early on, just wait until you get older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's what's the the, the value of ten years from now? You're well, you honestly, said... I was thinking about it, and I don't know if I'm going to be racing World Cups when I'm 32. Like. I'm surprised how the girls are still doing it. Like, I don't know. Some days I wake up and I'm so sore and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what, I don't want to know how it feels like in 10 years time. But I get it. I mean, the sport is pretty amazing. The community is so cool. The traveling you get to do, the people you hang, you get to hang around with. The possibilities you have with, with the sport is pretty cool. Like, I mean, obviously success is pretty addictive. So I get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got two overall wins now. Rachel has six, and I think you've got eight World Cup wins, and she's got 39. Do you ever think about like that kind of goals, like trying to achieve a certain number of wins? Do you think you could ever go for her, her record? Well, I mean, I would need to race a lot of World Cups to get those World Cup wins. I feel like mm -hmm. the overall would be a bit more achievable, I would I would say. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's totally different times. Obviously, what Rachel did is super, super impressive. But I believe that just the level in, in women's racing is so much higher now. Like, there are, there are six girls who can easily win a World Cup nowadays where... Before it was only three or, and then even if Rachel would have had to make a massive like mistake to, to not be in the top three. And, um, I think just times changed. I mean, I'm, I have so much respect for what Rachel did. Just being so consistent and not having any mechanicals or crashes is, is, is insane. But I feel like now we are pushing so hard because the field is just getting so strong. That uh, yeah, mistakes can happen, and you just need to be so dialed to to make it down, even on on to get on the podium. So um, yeah, I like it where the sport is heating to. Like it's pretty exciting. And what are the main things that you're focusing on to improve your racing in twenty twenty four? Are there th some things in particular that you're working on, or kind of just gradual improvements across the board? Mm, I guess I mean first step is like to get fast on my bike on the mm -hmm. new bike um, that's step number one and then just I kind of know what to do now at the World Cups and I just want to ride faster in general like I don't really have something in particular I want to work on because I feel like it doesn't really matter what kind of style of track we have I'm I caught up everywhere I would say Mm -hmm. um just trying to progress it there and and you know allow myself to ride into sections faster and and uh yeah just carry a bit more speed through and i don't know like i feel like also the new forward i was well not surprised because i am a strong rider and a strong athlete so i was not really tired of racing two times a day even if it was valisole or mountain and like i felt super super strong physically so yeah I don't know, just allow myself to, to go a bit quicker. <laughs> and is it the same format, do you know, this year coming up? With the... <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. Like, ESO <laughs> doesn't really talk to us at all. Like, I know all the, most of the athletes, they want to change it. And we also, like, we did a survey and most athletes wanted to go back to the old format just also to have more people racing in finals because with the top 30, you just kind of kill our sport because if mm -hmm. there is no... If there is no proper European Cup or like, you know, a race series where people can actually race on, then our sport will die. And mm -hmm. also the teams will have no money anymore because, you know, it just doesn't make sense. It's really, really sad that the ESO is not really talking to us or listening to us because we would be open to to work with them because I think that's the only way. I mean, they host the races. We are the product they sell. So why not have? a good relationship but mm -hmm. it's kind of sad and also like even though I won the overall and the world championship last year they never talked to me at all and I don't know it's it's a bit weird like you sign up for the race you race it but you don't really know the people and it seems like they don't really care what we think about it so 
yeah, yeah we see yeah, yeah. I, I just hope it everything turns out well and people will still watch our races or they mm. will be <laughs> you will be able to see our races in the future too so yeah yeah definitely i know we're looking looking forward to seeing how we'll we'll watch the the races this year um what about there was a couple of women last year and who went and did hardline and then this year there's some women who are on the roster is that something doing a red bull hardline event that you would ever consider <laughs> well i mean i was i was invited for for both uh events this year but uh i don't know like just to go to, to hit maybe one jump and then maybe you get the feeling you can do the second jump but then you don't you know it's like there's a lot of <laughs> risk involved I mean I also jumped a quite a big jump for for a movie project we did and kind of the through ride stuff it is funny but I mean hardline is next level because it's also so technical mm-hmm. um yeah I mean I got invited for the Tasmania one but it's just too early in the season for me to to say I, I would do it. I just want to focus on on my new bike and then also to fly around the world to do one jump is is not really worth it in my opinion. I'm pretty sure the girls who go there they will kill it and they will for sure do more than one jump. But uh, I just know myself like for me racing at the moment is a bit more important and I don't want to get like injuries and and then you know a bit pissed about myself because it was a stupid decision but for sure the girls who who admit to it they're well prepared and they know what what they have to do but for me it would not be the right timing mm-hmm. so maybe, maybe another year who knows right yeah who knows <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> when you're tired of asking me because i always say no anyway but well i think i saw that loic bruni was on the list yeah. this year and he's he said oh it almost sounded like he didn't want them to ask him to to go. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm happy that Gracie got my spot, so can do it first. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that was all the questions I had for you today. Um, I have a couple rapid fire questions though that I'd like mm-hmm. to to end on. If you want to want to go through those now. So first question: strength training or indoor cycling? Strength training. That's a given, yeah. <laughs> Winning the World Cup overall or World Championships? Oh, it's a tough one. Like, you get so much more stuff when you win World Champs, but World Cup overall just shows how good of a rider you are. Mm-hmm. That's what the other racers think of you versus what the world thinks of you. <laughs> yeah, <kind> of. exactly. <laughs> I, I value the racer, what the racers <laughs> think of me more than what the world thinks of me. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite race course? Uh, Mountain N. Ooh, nice. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the race venue with the best after party? I would say Valisol and Lenzahide. Nice. Your favorite pre-race meal? Ooh, that's a tough one because I normally don't really eat something between the races. So it's always <laughs> something like dry bread with like peanut butter and jam most of the time. <laughs> right, right. With the new format, you're not yeah. kind of having a it's meal. Before. That's something I need to dive for next year. Like <laughs> nutrition at the races. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a hard one when it's such a such a long day. If you weren't a professional bike racer, what job would you have? I think it would be a ski pro, to be honest. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's to the sports. Yeah, the, the Austrian Austrian roots. <laughs> then all the Austrians would actually would know your name if you were a, were a ski racer, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite animal? Uh, an otter. Oh, I love otters. That's a good yeah. answer. <laughs> and they slide on their bellies. I just love yeah, it. And they have like pockets, and they collect stones, and they chill. Like yeah, <laughs> good choice. <laughs> um, what's your go-to social media platform? Instagram. And finally. Beer or wine? Wine. Awesome. Well, thank you so much time for your time today, Valley. It's been really good chatting with you, catching up. Good luck with your training and getting up to speed on the new bike. And I can't wait to watch you come May in Fort William. It's going to be here before we know it. Thank you. And 
we are back. Sarah, it sounds like it was a big interview. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Sometimes the, the timings don't quite line up and it's all quite manic. It sounded like Fally was very transparent with some of her reasoning, very open, which I think is really good for the sport, especially as we look at trying to get better equity for these riders across the board. More transparency is probably going to help, right? Yeah, and I think it's, like she said, it's hard for a young athlete to know her value. Um, but I think it. she said that YT kind of was very respectful and she felt like they treated her like they would have treated an elite male athlete. And she seems happy with the arrangement that they've had. And um, I think if she's happy, then that's kind of the most important thing, um, kind of finding that balance and finding the people to support you. And I think she's also just like less worried about what other people think about her now. Mm. And she's just like, yeah, I'm writing for me, the people that are around me are important and my friends and family are important and whatever people say on the internet about me doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't actually matter. That's, it's funny. It's a lesson that I can, am continuously relearning. Yeah. Yeah. Know? I think it's um, hard for, I mean, she's grown up in front of the camera yeah, basically it, like she wild. was been racing for, I mean, she seems like she's been on the scene forever now and she's still only 21, I think now. So she's, she's kind of grown up in front of the camera and she's had to learn all these lessons in front of the camera. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's, well, the internet is a pretty wild place. And to grow up with it, with that level of expectation, um, being a female in such a male-dominated arena must be quite, at times, quite quite shocking, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's uh, definitely, she's learned a lot and it sounds like she's had kind of things that she's proud of. And I, I think she's really proud of her entire career. And I think yeah. she's just, you know, she's in a good place right now. So. And she's still so young. Yeah, exactly. That's what she she said. I, it's like the people racing against her are more than a decade older than her. And yeah. she's like, I don't know if I want to keep racing that long. Like my body's going to hurt more. Yeah. <laughs> it already yeah. hurts a lot. Yeah. Think of how many wins she'll have by then too. Yeah, that's a lot of wins. Well, that's what, yeah. It's like she could, I mean, you know, she said she's not going for Rachel Atherton's, um, you know, record well, of course number. She's say that. Right. A really long time for that to happen. But I yeah. mean, I mean, there's some guy apparently saying he's going to ride for 10,000 days on the bounce. So people do make these sort of claims. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Valley's not one of those people. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, with, um, in terms of the Rachel Atherton thing, because she was so good for so long and it felt that genuinely for years at a time, in the female elite category, people were racing to be the second best, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. racing for her to have an issue to not, not be able to do it. And there were some fantastic riders in that group. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. I think the, the downhill racing right now is so tight. Yeah. And that's that kind of what, what Valley said as well, is that it's, it's like amazing what Rachel did, I think were her words, but there's so many people who could win right now. The depth is a lot more. The hey. depth is just like, incredible and it's amazing that Rachel like didn't you know have any injuries during her perfect season didn't have any mechanicals like everything lined up and that's incredible and it, I feel like she didn't want to discount what she did at all but also it's like we're in a different era like you know all these women are so so tight right now that it's it's she I think Valley realized that that she can't be disappointed if she doesn't win right now yeah yeah and I think that was fair. like coming to terms having won all the way out through before junior into junior and she's like oh i'm elite okay i can't expect to win i have to be you know happy with how i performed regardless of what the result is mm. um kaz i've given you obviously there's been the interim sorry there's in the in between there's been the interview with the viewers at home have listened to you haven't had the chance it's been about 35 seconds as we square up for employee downhill day <laughs> of these new bikes which is the one you're most excited to ride and just do turn bars on A-line with. They got bump stops for a reason. I sometimes smash my bump stops into my top tube so hard to really bring the back around. That's what the essay yeah. let you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put a little bell on there so it just dings every time you do it. Like, ding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't gotten to spend time on the new V10 yet, which I really like the old one. So that would be, that bike's always felt really fast and fun too. So I'd like to get some time on that thing. Uh, really mm. anything. I don't know. They're all... Yeah, I don't know. That'd be one that's pretty high on the list because I've just heard good things about it. Yeah, totally. I'd really like to try one of those intenses. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I even spoke about it to Aaron Gwynn when we interviewed him a little while ago, but there was like the Aaron Gwynn um, perfection lifestyle side life cycle where he moves to a brand, gets them competitive, and then moves on. 
Mm-hmm. and someone else just he just basically builds a great bike for someone else to ride and now we're seeing all these things with the in- intense thing and that you know that ms team um brooke was not to be honest that flattering about where he was with the with the mondraker setup um and they've inherited that now this intense bike and it it could be very very good indeed um as we leave it now we've got some music corners to share i've got one that i'm very excited to share just because it is so sickly sweet pop dance disco music and it just made me incredibly happy um i don't know if it quite got across the atlantic but there's a song by sophie ellis bexter called murder on the dance floor maybe you've heard it i don't maybe know you haven't. i never it's know a, the names or the artists i'm like a, the worst person for music corner. <laughs> like, oh when i hear it i'm like i know what that is but <laughs> it, it's a cover of that by this band i think called royal lotus and it's just so much fun and it's really made me smile I like the sound of that. Sarah, what's uh, what's your suggestion? I'm going to go with also uh, Poppy Makes You Smile. Uh, it's called Dance Monkey by The Tones and I. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, <laughs> that song. <laughs> I know. I cannot stand it. It's the worst. I can't. No. <laughs> God, I hate that song so much. I know. This is why I haven't done it. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. It's just a show. Not usually, not, if you not like, lots of people Jesus. like it. It's just my little, I have a little Ignore niece. Him, she loves it. And I've been hearing that. No. Sorry, oh, see, that's the problem. I mean, I, I can, I'm with your niece. I just like listening to the song over and over and over mm. again if I like it. I don't listen yeah. to all these like full albums or anything like That's what she does. And that's... I've never watched the YouTube, so I have no idea what they do on YouTube. Yeah, no. Oh, well, some people can listen to that, but don't. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, my song is not Dance Monkey, but it's uh, the, new, the new track from Idols, uh, Gift Horse. And the video oh, that yeah. accompanies it is good too. It's like, I'm excited for the new album, but this, uh, this video is pretty cool. And the, yeah, I just like how much charisma does is it Joe Talbot? How much charisma does yeah, he have? Front man, it's amazing. Like he's just Wild. like intense, but in a cool way. Like he seems like he wants to murder you and have like tell you a joke. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, a good mix of music there. We got some pop, we got some <laughs> punk, and that will that will do. Um, thank you very much for listening to the Pink Bike Podcast. Get in the comments below. Not only reflections upon the wonderful Valley Hall interview, but also which this new current crop of downhill bikes really whets your appetite. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll catch you next time.